0: Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of MensHelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories,
1: struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to an exciting episode of the Men Talk podcast, where men talk about miscarriage, infertility, and stillbirth. Today's guest is a very special guest. His name is Paul Nelson. Paul is one of the few male sex therapists. So without further ado, Paul, feel free to introduce yourself, your background, and I'm sure we'll have a very interesting conversation for our listeners, especially us men who can be somewhat uncomfortable discussing sex and about, you know, our bodies and how we deal with the whole fertility concept. So this will be a fun, interesting podcast. Paul, take it away. The floor is yours.
1: We'll do our best. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Happy to be here. I just want to point out that there are lots of male sex therapists, but not a lot of sex therapists only for men. Does that make sense?
0: That makes sense. So you're one of the only ones who focus on men specifically.
1: Yes. And I only see men. And that's because I'm, I'm embedded in a men's sexual medicine practice, um, uh, where we do just do fertility and sexual function. And it's an interesting model. I love it and it works really well be, because every patient that comes in, they get an hour with me first before they even see the doctor. And so I sit down with someone and I do a whole, you know, clinically it's a psychiatric evaluation, right? But. Practically, it's the story of what's going on in their life, their relationships, their history, their sexual history. Um, and I mean, trauma, childhood, relationship stuff, and, um, whatever they're dealing with now, which can be everything from sexual fun- function problems to fertility problems. I've had a whole boatload of fertility guys in the last, uh, two weeks, probably, you know, more than a dozen. So, and it's um interesting evolution because I didn't used to talk to those guys because we were like, uh, eh, guys who are, you know, the fertility, you know, they don't, what's going on with them? Well, then we discovered there's a lot going on with them. And so now I see everyone. So it's, it's fascinating. And this is, yes, stuff that doesn't get talked about. Lots of, lots of shame going around, lots of blame, lots of embarrassment, lots of anger, lots of frustration, lots of, unfortunately, lots of bad beliefs, incorrect beliefs that our culture tells us. But yeah, so thank you for you doing what you're doing.
0: Thank you for doing what you're doing as well. It's important work. So one of the questions I have is to start us off is, since it is an uncomfortable topic and men typically don't like to open up about these things, and you sink so many people from the minute they walk in the door. How do you get them to open up? What is your specific technique that makes men comfortable opening up to you? Because men need to understand that they can talk about this stuff. It's not anything to be embarrassed about if you're having any of these problems. And if it is a problem, it's not just you. You're not just unique because it's such a widespread issue. So how do you get men to open up about this when they're sitting down with you?
1: Well, I, I and I do I do want to say something first. The and I hear it all the time. Men don't want to talk about this. Men are desperate to talk about this. Men are dying to talk about this. There's just no place safe in our culture that has made it safe. And so the problem is not men don't want to talk about it. The problem is our culture is effed up. Okay, as you can see, I get really crazy about that. This idea that somehow men are defective. Oh, they don't want to talk about no. Because their wives shame them, their partners shame them, their parents shame them, their friends shame them. Everybody shames them without even realizing they're doing it. So men are desperate to talk about this. Men want to talk. There's just no place where they can talk about it with someone who doesn't insult them or blame them. Right? It's it's it go. I, I go crazy because guys are desperate for this, and there's this sort of. Patronizing attitude. Oh, men don't want to do that. Bullshit. You can delete that out if you want. Uh, we'll keep it. We'll we'll keep keep it. it. <laughs> no. And so if you find yourself saying, Oh, men just don't talk about this. You are part of the problem. That may be a little harsh to hear. And I could imagine there's some people really angry with me right now. But if you think your male partner does not want to talk about this and he doesn't talk about this, you are the reason he's not talking about it. Ouch. Sorry, that hurts.
0: So yeah. how do we get rid of the shame? Like, there's no shame well, if well, someone I, has I, a I red I Stop just...
1: shaming! It, right? Some... It's, it's, oh, so we have a culture that... For, oh, I mean, where do we begin? Um, a misunderstanding of what sex is and what reproduction is. And they're not the same thing. Right? Uh Reproduction is the act of making a baby. Sex is the act of communicating to your partner how you feel about them. Right? The first one involves genitals. A penis in a vagina. The second one, it can involve genitals, but I tell people, I'll give your genitals a break at least once a week. Have sex without involving your genitals. And people look at me like, what? So... We have so many misconceptions and problems and, uh, and it, 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 it goes back to nobody told anyone how to have sex. Everyone learned how to have sex from teenage friends and porn. Right? Which means, do the math, everything we know about sex is wrong. And everything you know about reproduction is, is antiseptic and medical and everything else. Right? So I, getting to our thing, I just had a guy yesterday, um, the first time I saw him and the amount of shame he said, you know, my whole life, I, I, I tried to not get people pregnant. I did all this, you know, I was always, and then, then to discover the problem is me. Um, and, you know, if you have a medical condition where you, um, you know, I don't know, you have a bad knee or something. We don't have a lot of emotion about that. But if something's wrong with your sperm, that takes your very humanity and masculinity and manhood into question, right? And so if you suddenly are azospermic, you are suddenly defective and there's guilt like, oh my God, my wife married a broken guy, right? And so all these feelings come up for these men um, feeling, feeling broken. Nobody wants to feel broken. Right. And yet, you know, how many people wear glasses? We don't think that's broken. It's just a medical issue. Right. And th- the problem with reproduction is we've set up these hopes and dreams for our life that now have a complication in them, a factor that's making things difficult. And that the death of that dream is a trauma. Does that make sense?
0: I That makes total sense. I'm going to go back for a second to what you uh-huh. mentioned about how men traditionally and teenagers learn about sex and pornography. Uh-huh. Would you say oftentimes when someone is going through infertility or having a miscarriage that oftentimes they're afraid of having sex? They're afraid of, of, of connecting with their partner. So a lot of times men turn to porn addictions. So when someone is going through treatments or in general with relationships, it's obviously very complicated because many people say porn is bad. You could become an addict. For the average man, let's say, who's going through fertility treatments, right? We all know that when you go to give a sperm sample as part of the process, your role in in, in the process is to give a sample. Everybody knows, it's not uncommon, that there will be pornography on the TV or a pornography magazine in order to produce a sample. So would you say that pornography is bad for men to consume in general and for their relationships or whether that pornography enhances the relationship men learn from these things and could ultimately connect with their spouses in more significant ways?
1: Well, I'm, that, that's that's a loaded question. I'm not going to say porn is bad for everyone or that porn is bad. We live in a society that loves to believe that because we don't like it, right? The porn is bad. And the idea of porn addiction, just so you know, it is not part of the DSM. And so I tread very carefully. I don't use that term because what... When we start looking at porn as an addiction, we focus on the wrong thing. Like, so uh, let's say a wife says, my husband isn't having sex with me. And I walked in and I found him masturbating to porn. He's a porn addict. I'm like, we love to blame the porn, right? When the fact is, as a couple, we need to look in the mirror and go, wow, what's going on between us that I would rather jack off to porn than have sex with my wife? That's a much scarier and more difficult conversation, which we all want to avoid. So it's much easier to blame the porn. He's a porn addict. He's broken. He's defective. Right? And so the fact is, there's a reason why it's safer to have sex with porn than it is a real person. And nobody wants to talk about that. And most sex therapists don't want to talk about that either, because they make a lot of money from doing porn addiction treatments. When the fact is, I don't care about masturbating porn. That's not the problem. That's a symptom. The problem is what's going on in the relationship that makes it hard or scary or what's going on in the man's life or the woman's life that makes it difficult and a barrier to having sex. And I'm not talking intercourse. I'm talking sex of any kind. Okay, I use the word sex as a big umbrella. Sex is not about penises and vagina. That's reproduction. Okay. So um, the, the whole thing about porn being bad, no. Porn can become a coping skill that men use with their erotic energy, right? Um, that uh, is where they would rather go instead of having sex with their wife. But guess what? The porn isn't the problem. I just made a whole bunch of enemies again, didn't
0: I? No, you didn't. It's, this is an important conversation because it's a misnomer that, you know, the wives, again, going back to the whole shaming conversation or how men feel when they're going through, going through treatments or after a miscarriage. A lot of men are afraid to have relations, you know, with their spouse and to, and to try again. You know, it's that whole shame, that whole blame game. Did I cause yep. this? And they're, and they're resorting to other resources. I want to go to another well, set of, Controversial topics because men don't often talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sex toys for men to enhance, you know, longer erections or different things when you're going through the processes. Like again, this is something men do not talk about or want and, you know, some of them probably want to know about it, but they're too afraid to ask the question. You know, if you're going through treatments and you have erectile dysfunction or low testosterone or azospermia, are these some type of coping mechanisms and treatments that Can potentially help you through the journey and help you through the process.
1: Oh well, yeah. And and there's no excuse. There's no reason for guys not to have great erections. Okay, getting someone a good erection, we can do that even after they're dead. Okay, they could be a a coffin in the a, a corpse in the coffin, and we can get them a boner. Okay, the fact that you're alive makes it a thousand times easier. Okay, so there is no reason for anyone to be dealing with erectile dysfunction okay, um, or, or to be suffering from untreated erectile dysfunction, right, uh, one third of all men have some sort of ED issue, right, um, so yes, if, if you're having erection issues, go to the doctor, even if it's anxiety erections, right, anxiety causes erectile dysfunction, because when you're anxious, your body produces adrenaline, which is the fight or flight hormone, right, and adrenaline's number one job is to shrink up your penis so you can run away from the lion. Right? We cannot run with a boner. I don't know if you've ever tried, but it really hurts. Did you ever run with a boner? Never in my life. Oh, I remember in high school being on the track team. And I don't know. We won't get into those scary stories. But uh, no, men are not designed to run with a boner. So when you're anxious, your body gets ready to run. It means shrink up that penis. Okay. So of course, I, you know, I get to, I, I'm, I'm controversial. I'm always the turd in the punch bowl. Pardon my French, right? Because doctors will say, oh, there's nothing wrong with your penis. It's all in your head. Get out of here. I'm like, it doesn't matter what we give for a stress headache. We still give Advil, right? And if you have psychogenic or anxiety based erectile dysfunction, you should still get a Viagra or Cialis or Levitra or Stendra, right? So there's no reason, if you have anxiety-based erection problems, that you should get treatment for it. And if your doctor won't give it to you, fire your doctor, realize that is a bad doctor and a bad human being, and get him out of your life. How's that? That's a little cruel, isn't it? And he not, may not but be it's a true. bad doctor or a bad human being, but he shouldn't be in the business of medicine if he doesn't know his stuff.
0: So how right. do you deal with that? oftentimes when a when a couple is going through that, the man is having trouble producing because they have all those anxieties and all those stresses <laughs> the timing at, sperm the, you mean right exactly producing sperm at the time of treatment because they have that anxiety about it because there's so much pressure there's so much stress it's time bound it's not pleasant it's not pleasurable right it's not enjoyable at, at all, so
1: how do you manage all of that? Oh, there's somebody. First, it depends on the on the couple and the medical and what the doctor's asking for. I tell people first of all this whole idea that oh my god at two oh seven I'll be ovulating, get home and we got to do it right now. Oh my god, where somebody got the information? Just have sex every other day, uh, three days before and a week after ovulation. How long does sperm last in the human body? Forever. About three days. Right. So if you are depositing sperm in a woman's uh vagina and hopefully it's getting into the uterus, she's going to have a lot of sperm floating around if you're having sex every other day. Even, I mean, if you want it every day, that's fine. But uh, it's not like, oh, we have to have sex now because I'm ovulating right now. If you know you're going to ovulate on Tuesday, have sex Monday night. And have fun sex. It's not about the ovulation. We have no control over conception, right? We all, that's the starting point I tell every couple. First of all, the neurosis that is involved by the idea that somehow we can control conception is just insanity. We have no control over conception. What do we have control over? We have control over loving our partner, having a great, fulfilling, connecting sex life. And sex and reproduction have gotten confused. So for guys that get really anxious and they're like, oh, I can't do this. I'm like, we give them a syringe and a cup, a urine specimen cup. We say, okay, we're going to go full medical here. Go into the bathroom, masturbate into the cup, ejaculate into the cup. Take this syringe that has no needles, just a syringe. Suck up all the semen. Give it to your wife and she will squirt it deep into her vagina. There you're done. If if getting the sperm into the vagina is that big of a medical deal, then make it fully medical and stop confusing sex and medicine. I know that sounds kind of radical, doesn't it? Now, there are going to be some religious communities that say, oh, I can't do that. I will tell you, we talk to rabbis all the time. And for the sake of reproduction, the rabbis are like, are you kidding? In this case, go ahead, do it. So, right. uh, and so there are, there are ways to, to go around this. But if having intercourse around ovulation is ruining your sex life, you're doing it wrong. How's that?
0: It's good. So what are your top sex tips for guys?
1: Uh, in general or around, uh, getting pregnant? In general. In general, okay, now this is this is very broad, this is not so. First of all, guys have been taught that sex is all about their dick, right? Right? Your job with sex is to show up with a hard erection. And the shocking news is most women are just not into dick. Ask them. <laughs> right? If you say of all the parts of my body, how much do you love my penis? It won't be the number one. 99% of women will be like, Your your penis is fine. It's not why I married you. Right? Really? Guys are like, who wouldn't want this thing? It gives so much delight. And then they are so okay, first of all, a vagina is about babies, a clitoris is about sex. That's the best. That's from Betty Dodson, my dear departed friend. Uh she told me that. And that's the best advice she ever gave me. A vagina is about babies. A clitoris is about sex. And since this is fertility thing, I think it's really important to realize all embryos start off with a female body, right? Which is why men have nipples, right? And the X, the Y chromosome turns on around eight weeks of gestation and activates the adrenaline. Sorry, the the testosterone response. So our female baby turns into a boy baby when they have the Y chromosome, right? And your clitoris grows into a,
0: a man, turns into a penis.
1: In a penis, your clitoris becomes a penis, and your two ovaries descend and turn into testicles. Testicles, and your scrotum is left over what?
0: Skin. <laughs> it's left over skin.
1: Vaginal lips. Really. And that's why, if you look at your, your your scrotum, there's a seam down it where the two lips fuse together. Isn't that fascinating? Well,
0: I don't think most men know that. Most men don't. No, most doctors don't know
1: that. Most people don't know that. Most sex therapists don't know that. So I tell guys, if somebody plays with your balls for like ten minutes or thirty minutes, are you going to have multiple orgasms? No. Most guys would be like, no. In fact, after a minute or two, it's like, "Eh, move on to the main event, please. My penis. And yet, what do we do to women? We were taught, oh. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. What should we have been taught? So we were lied to. We don't realize that we were lied to. We were lied, but we should be saying, boys have a penis, girls have a clitoris. Hmm. And we think she's enjoying our dick as much as we are. That's another lie we were told. And women were lied to, like, oh, when a man penetrates you, it's the most amazing thing. The sun explodes and the stars sing. And when it happens and a woman goes, it doesn't feel like it's okay. What She goes, what's wrong with me? Instead of going, oh, my God, I was lied to by everyone. How many women can reach climax through intercourse? What percentage?
0: 5% maybe.
1: Well, we, closer to 20%. So one out of five, okay? Most women, just like a guy will not climax from someone just playing with his balls. Most women will not climax from intercourse. Some will, that's great. If they love it, great, hats off. And I do, I have had patients where guys say, oh yeah, if someone played my balls for 10 minutes. I'd absolutely had orgasm. I'm like, wow, lucky you. So there, I'm throwing a whole bunch of stuff at you that men need to know. Um, Sex and intercourse are not the same thing. I, I'll give you my crash course. Sex, the definition of sex is it is a form of communication. And the language of sex is touch.
0: Does that make sense? Which is the opposite of what men are told.
1: And, of, and women. And women. Right? Just like I tell people, music is sound intended for intellectual or emotional response. And the language of music is sound. Right? So we all get music. And we have music we like and music we don't like. And that's great. Same thing with sex. Sex is communication. Sex is touch intended for spiritual, physical, or emotional response. And hopefully it's all three. But... Men have been taught, stand back, I have to do sex on you. I have to get hard, I make out, I play with bits, I stick it in, you come, I come, that's sex. And the better I do it, the closer I do it to a porn scene, the more she'll like me. Which is why guys look at sex as a point of validation and approval. Which is why guys say, was it good for you? Because we're hoping she goes, oh, that was a 9.7. Right? And why do women fake orgasms? Because they're tired of guys forcing them to have one. Because guys make the woman's orgasm about them. I can take credit. I can pat myself on the back. I'm a stud. I gave her an orgasm. Our job as men, if we're having sex with women, our job is not to give a woman an orgasm. Our job is to say, do you want an orgasm and how can I help? Does that make sense?
0: That's a great point. And oftentimes men still don't know what to do.
1: No, because they, why should they? They're not women, right? It's her body. She's in charge of it. And if she says, listen, there's nothing you can do that's going to give me an orgasm. You can help me. You can kiss me while I do it myself. Or I will teach you how to give me one. But the idea that somehow we give orgasms from our penis is the biggest lie of our culture. Our penis is for our pleasure. The clitoris is for her pleasure. Right? It's fun to play with the clitoris, I hope. But she's the one getting the pleasure out of it, not you. And we've been led to believe that, oh, she's going to just love my penis being inside of her. The fact is, most women are like, it's okay. For five minutes most. Right? But porn teaches us, oh, you got to knock that vagina in the next week for the next 40 minutes. Right, I hear that all the time from women.
0: And oftentimes men don't even realize how long sex even lasts, right? Isn't the average sex I want session- sex
1: to last in three hours, but intercourse. So those are not interchangeable terms, right? Sex is the communication period. I can touch you and love you through touch. Penis and vagina, intercourse or coitus, the average is three to five minutes. And the first thing I do with every couple is say, hey, have you ever asked her how long she'd like to have intercourse? I've never had a guy that said, oh, yeah. I've never had a guy know how long his partner wanted to have intercourse. Isn't that tragic? A good point. So then and how so come- right there I say to the woman, how long would you like to have intercourse? I have never had a woman say more than eight minutes.
0: So then how come all of these conversations when a couple's going through fertility treatments and they have to give this sample, none of this is done in a comforting way Yes, obviously, there's some medical parts of it, but shouldn't there be some part before a woman goes into a retrieval that when the man has to give this window that they should be able, you know, obviously, you know, you have to wear a medical. I mean, at least in the Jewish religious world, if you're able to be together, you have to wear, um, you know, an approved condom. But shouldn't couples be allowed to have that experience? Together at the same time as right before going into the retrieval? Like it's so medical. It's so
1: it, oh it's well this is this is the because as those doctors, do you think they're comfortable about sex? No. No! Doctors are nerds. Did you know doctors in high school? Guys who grew up to be doctors?
0: I have a few were of they, those friends, yeah.
1: Right. We're, so when you think about those guys, were they warm and communicative and emotionally aware and connecting and intelligent and kind and compassionate. No, they were nerds. They were friendly, but they needed to study. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. They're friendly, but they need to study. And so we have a medical system that rewards doctors who can memorize a lot of stuff, right? That's how you become a doctor. You memorize everything. So how do we teach our physicians Our nurses. That's, that's the, that's the wrong goal. You will never teach them because they're not willing to learn. We have to take ownership of this process, not the doctor.
0: How's that? So as men, we have to take the initiative to say, let me get my sperm test. Let me do a sperm sample to see if I have azospermia or any issues and get yeah. early on and take that initiative and say yes. to that physician, wait a second, something is wrong here. I don't want to be in that room alone while she's about to go into and take the initiative and try and change the yes. system.
1: And the doctor may be uncomfortable with it, but tough luck. You're not there for the doctor's enjoyment or comfort. The doctor is not the star of the show. Why you can't be a jerk. You can't be unreasonable, but you can say, this is how we'd like to do it. And they'll go, oh, my God. And they're going to freak out because no one's ever talked to them about sex. All these fertility doctors, I hang out with them. Ugh. They know nothing about sex. They got to learn. They got to learn. But they don't want to learn, and that's part of the problem. They just don't want to learn. They don't think they have anything to learn. They're like, I'm here for eggs and sperm. That's it. I don't want to deal with all that other stuff. It makes me uncomfortable.
0: And that is the problem these days with the medical system and people going yes. through treatments because exactly. it's become so mechanical and so much about the numbers, about getting the right results at the right time as opposed to the couple as a whole.
1: Yes. Right. So, you know, it's part of it is, I mean, you know, I'm like, again, the divorce in the idea of producing sperm if we're at a medical office i mean so there is the medical establishment going to change probably not almost certainly not but the experience of okay so the retrieval and the guy has to produce right um i do encourage if you know turn off the porn and have it be a fun playful session in the room with your spouse,
0: assuming the doctor allows it,
1: I can't imagine. I could imagine a doctor saying, "Please, no intercourse." Okay, I, 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 I this, is, I'm not sure about this, but I can understand it. Doctor saying it's going to produce mucus, it's going to produce stuff that could make things complicated. Does that make sense? I can. I don't know. That's a good question. So here's the here's my next thing. Could you open a chain of uh, fertility centers that approach sex and fertility with a healthy balance?
0: Uh, <laughs> that, and then hire something. the
1: doctor to run it, but you're in charge and say this is how they're going to do it. That would be so something. Because, because the corporate the corporate hospitals are never going to say, "Oh yeah, let's have a boom boom room for the couples who are doing fertility."
0: Right. They're just not. And let's not make it embarrassing for the man to go through there, have people walk in or keys and know you have to change. Like everybody knows what goes on in that room and the process and where you're walking. Yes.
1: Right. Well, again, this is a reflection of our society and how uncomfortable we are with all of this. Right. Yeah. Like I, we get men sitting in our living in our, you know, our waiting room at the office and they're like, Oh my God. I'm like, there are men here for testosterone. There's men here for, you don't know what they're here for. No, Everyone's, I mean, nobody cares. But couples care. They work themselves up. They have a lot of anxiety about it. I will say, I think most people really don't care why you're there. Or they know why you're there and they should have compassion. And if they don't, then they're kind of jerks. <laughs> That's a little judgmental, isn't it? But it's right. <laughs>
0: Everybody's out for themselves a lot of the time.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I know we've had a wide ranging, uh, I, I, I go on a lot of rants, but it's like there's so much that's like out of whack. And it seems like, you know, who's who's in charge here? The wrong people are making the decisions.
0: And that's really important for, for our listeners to know that you are in charge of your journey, not yes. your doctor.
1: Not the doctor.
0: And it's up to you care about and, the relationship. and it's also about you and your spouse in the sense of if one partner is not ready to go forward, then don't go forward. You have Absolutely. to be on the same playing field and tell the doctor your concerns. And it's the doctor's responsibility to listen. And if they don't listen to you, then it's time to find a new doctor. Find a new, a new
1: doctor. Yes. And this great, you mentioned something that I, I, I should have said uh, you know, like, I, I work with a lot of urologists who do diagnose prostate cancer. I'm like, with every prostate cancer diagnosis, you need to say, and you're going to walk right down the hallway to sit with a therapist. With every fertility couple, they should be checking in with a couple's therapist at least every other week. Definitely.
0: And it's not you know, something to be ashamed of. this without therapy. It's not something to be ashamed of or embarrassed that it's so truly important and healthy to yeah. do.
1: And no one, I mean, no one is an expert on relationships unless you've studied relationships, right? The fact that you're married doesn't mean you're an expert on relationships. It just means you're married. So it's like, no, every fertility couple should be seeing a therapist and a support group, right? Even Especially the online stuff because it's anonymous. They don't have to, or whatever. No one else around me, but I can go online and talk to someone in Idaho. So...
0: Yes. These are always good topics. Paul, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure our listeners have will have a lot to say and a lot of comments.
1: If I they probably stirred up a hornet's a hornets nest, didn't I? I'm sorry. No, it's
0: perfect. If they have questions or want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to
1: reach you? Um my through my website franktalk.org, which is about sexual function, but my email address is Paul at Franktalk.org. And, um, yeah, I do, I, I will do consultations with couples who are sort of like, um, off the, off the rails sexually or like it's not working. It's not fun. Yeah. I will do consultations and talk to people about that kind of stuff. So yeah, franktalk.org, like blunt conversation, franktalk.org. And, uh, it is a 501c3 site. It's about men's sexual. Function all kinds, and your site is taking care of the fertility stuff. Thank God, I don't have to do it.
0: Yes, we can work conjointly here. Yes, yes. Men need yes. men need the help, and and should not be ashamed to get it, to reach out, Absolutely to have a support net group. No. And remember, guys, get tested early. Early intervention is key. And don't be afraid to ask questions you don't know answers to.
1: Thank you, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Daniel. This has been a pleasure. I'm sorry. I go. I've, I've had probably more fun than you have. So this
0: is fun. We should do it again.
1: You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with
0: Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss, and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org, today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.